Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that digs up all sorts of information about the world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at new stories, including the new Holden Commodore's crash test results. We have a first drive impressions on the Volkswagen Original. It is a new model, but it keeps a sense of engagement with the vehicle that harks back to earlier motoring times. We also road test the Kia Picanto. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith, we take an effervescent look at stories including Oregon residents are freaking out about pumping their own petrol now that self-service is being allowed. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to some segments and the whole program at our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. ANCAP has released its first safety rating for the year, and it's a positive result for the all-new Holden Commodore. The ZB Holden Commodore achieved the highest rating, 5 stars, for its overall safety performance. In the four key areas of assessment, it achieved 93% for adult occupant protection, 85% for child occupant protection, 78% for pedestrian protection, and 77% for safety assist. Dual frontal, side chest and side head protecting curtain airbags are standard. Autonomous emergency braking and a lane departure warning system with active lane keep assist are standard on all variants. The Commodore shares its structure with that of the Opel Vauxhall Insignia supplied in Europe, with locally supplied variants offering comparable safety performance. The 5-star rating applies to all Commodore liftback, sports wagon and tourer variants available across Australia and New Zealand. In 2017, UK MP Jesse Norman, who is their Parliamentary Undersecretary of State at the Department of Transport, outlined his disappointment that the government had not yet taken concrete action on the Volkswagen Dieselgate affair, where the German car manufacturer had cheated on emission tests. The initial concern was to get compensation for customers, but now the UK government has threatened that car manufacturers that fit emission cheating devices to their vehicles may face an unlimited fine. Any such plans will not be retrospective, but it is designed to give the government more powers in the event of a similar scandal. Jesse Norman said those who cheat should be held to proper account in this country, legally and financially, for their actions. While the expression unlimited fine sounds particularly aggressive, there has been criticism that the government's announcement gives no tangible details. At the International Conference on Modelling and Diagnostic for Advanced Engine Systems, Mazda's powertrain managing executive officer, Mitsuo Hitomi, said that if Mazda can increase thermal efficiency to 58% in their petrol engines, it can achieve emissions on a par with an electric car. Mazda will move beyond the current tank-to-wheel evaluations, 
which look only at CO2 emissions while driving, and take steps to reduce CO2 on a well-to-wheel basis, which considers fuel extraction, manufacturing and shipping. Their goal is to reduce Mazda's corporate average wheel-to-well CO2 emissions to 50% of 2010 levels by 2030 and achieve a 90% reduction by 2050. Mazda's corporate vision starts with the words, We love cars, and they do not want environmental issues to cramp that passion. Consequently, their latest initiative is titled Sustainable Zoom Zoom to 2030. Mazda says they will use driving pleasure and the fundamental appeal of the automobile to help solve issues facing people, the earth and society. Along with the potential to reduce pollution, the relative simplicity of the electric car's powertrain is said to be one of its great features. A battery connected to an electric motor, which does not require a gearbox, is a far less complicated system than the traditionally internal combustion engine. Among other things, this has raised hopes that we might re-establish a car manufacturing industry in Australia. But it has also raised concern that dealers' profit margins will be significantly challenged because there is less maintenance required. Research shows that servicing is one of the two most profitable lines of business for franchise dealerships, along with sales of used cars. New car sales are actually less profitable, but they do create a steady flow of customers who will come in for service in the future. The wear and tear items on an electric car are mainly tyres, wiper blades and the filter in the cabin air intake system. Tesla motor cars have made the electric vehicle incredibly fashionable rather than just a toy for engineering nerds. The most recent stunt from Elon Musk of sending one of their sports cars into space gives a clear link to the romance of space travel. But a more down-to-earth indication that your vehicles have made it in the public's mind is when you have a car racing series for your product. While there is already an open-wheeler racing series for electric racing cars, the FIA, the governing body for world motorsports, has now officially sanctioned an electric production car series. Amongst fans, though, it is being called the Tesla Model S series. For the first season, 10 teams will each have a pair of drivers competing on tracks in England, France, Germany, Italy, Portugal and Spain. Whenever I do Talkback Radio and I mention the fact that most new cars are now sold with automatic gearboxes, there is a flood of calls, a disproportionate flood of calls from people who love manual gearboxes. They swear they will never give them up. It's their inalienable right in a democracy to have such devices. Well, Volkswagen is doing their bit to try and keep some of that original aspect of motoring, original as in maybe 20, 30 years ago, that people, a few people, still love. We went to the launch of their GTI Original, the name of the vehicle. Uh, Then I say we, that's Paul Morell and I, great friend of the program, and he joins me on the line now. Paul, did you have flashbacks of your early motoring career? Oh, David, I always have flashbacks of my early motoring career whenever I get behind a steering wheel. But uh, 
Yes, of course. People are now rushing to automatic or DSG gear, semi-automatic or sort of automatic gearboxes. But isn't it interesting that when we got into that car in, in at Sydney Airport, uh, we rushed for an automatic because we know we knew we'd be driving through Sydney traffic. And then the minute we got out of Sydney traffic, we said, "Give manual." We're talking about a three-door Golf which goes back, I guess, to 1976 and other times during that. But I think they started with a three-door, a hot hatch GTI with plenty of performance, which they're selling at a remarkably low price for a Golf anyway. Well, certainly for a Golf GTI, yes. Hmm. Yeah, the three-door, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we talk about the practicality of five doors, and you and I both agree that it's so much easier being able to open the back doors and throw things in. That includes kids, dogs, golf clubs, whatever it may be. But when we let the, the heart rule ahead, suddenly the three-door comes back up the scale because it's a prettier-looking car in many ways. It has a more sporting pretension. And, you know, if you're not going to be practical about it, a three-door makes very good sense. When we got in the car for the first time, I had an immediate flashback to a 1969 Holden Monaro. The reason being that the Volkswagen had a tartan upholstery and this reminded me of the houndstooth upholsteries. In other words, something with a very distinctive pattern on them back from the Monaro days. It certainly looked bright and stylistic inside, didn't it? It did, David. It's interesting, isn't it? That uh, I mean, that, that tartan pattern has been pretty much a golf hallmark ever since 1976. It sounds awful. It sort of sounds like Jackie, Jackie Stewart's trousers, but it, it actually works quite well. And yeah, I guess we get a bit tired of the, you know, the, the uniform black leather and the dark greys and the, you know, the very sober interiors. It's nice to have a bit of fun with it. And the Golf 3 door is designed to be a fun car. You know, there's such a greater sense of engagement with the car when you're changing gears and operating the clutch. It's like, it's a bit like you're in control. It must be what I guess pilots must feel when, you know, when they're flying a sock with camel and they're flying the plane, or when they're flying a 767 and just sit there and let the autopilot take over. <laughs> that is a perfect description. I found that uh, where we got onto those t- very tight, consistently repeating 25-kilometre-an-hour bends, I double-shuffled back into second gear I'd instinctively. Yeah, you definitely did go through a throwback, didn't you, David? I mean, you know, you went back a long way further than, the, than 20 or 30 years with a double shuffle. <laughs> Yes, having to rev the engine to get the cogs of the gearbox to line up. Nonetheless, it had you know wonderful uh, 169 kilowatts, but 350 newton meters of torque in a car. We're being three door, only weighs about 1300 kilograms. It uh, certainly yep. uh, was a lovely balance, but with plenty of punch in the back. You commented when we were driving the car that it, you, you you felt a little a degree of understeer. Now, one of the things that we've always talked about with the Golf GTI, particularly the, the, the higher spec models, is they have this locked front differential, which makes the almost takes away the characteristics of front-wheel drive. It, it pulls out of corners so much better than than it would than most front-wheel drive cars do, because with a front-wheel drive, you lift the inside wheel, that starts to spin, you lose a bit of traction, you know, understeer comes in, all these things happen. But the locked front differential overcomes a lot of those things, overcomes physics, if you like. This car, because it's um, it's called the original. The idea is that there's more driver involvement and probably less technical involvement. Um, this car doesn't have that lock differential, so therefore you have to drive it a little cleverer. Cleverer. Oh, I love it when you talk technical. <laughs> 
The normal GTI has just this incredible turn in in corners that is as sharp as attack. It seems to defy physics, whereas without it, there's just that, that sense of scrub that you can feel in the f- scrubbing in the front wheels. But um, don't get us wrong, it is still uh, extremely competent. Well, lovely to talk to you, and thank you for the drive yesterday. It was uh, a great always to catch up with you. I enjoy our conversation, which I must confess ranges over a wide area of subjects. It certainly does, David. I mean, you know, Sometimes when we go on a drive, we really must remember to look at the car. (laughs) Thanks again, mate. (laughs) Lovely to talk to you, David. Thank you. Paul Morell, a motoring journalist, uh, lives in Adelaide, and we get together on launches whenever we can. A great uh, man to have as company to drive around in the car. And we were talking about the GTI Golf Volkswagen Original, brought out to help you remember a little but without losing any of the modern comfort and features but to remember just what driving was about a few years ago you're listening to overdrive if you look at a car and you are happy with it and you feel it pretty well serves the function that you want but a motoring writer says it doesn't really have all that he, I use the word he most advisedly, might think in terms of technology. Would you still buy it? Is it still the car for you? I bring to you the Kia Picanto. This is a compact, very small car. And it is the one that I just gave my award for the best compact car on the market. Errol and I have been driving it. Some motoring people keep asking questions about certain of its performance details. Let's see if Errol thinks that that is a worthy comment. Errol, you've been driving the vehicle now. It's a 1.25 litre four-cylinder non-turbo petrol engine, 62 kilowatts. Mm. Is that enough? Look, the reality is that yes, it certainly is. Is this very quick? No. Are you going to be beating anyone off the line in it? Probably not. Does it matter? Not really. No, and the other feature about it is that if you get the automatic, it is a four-speed automatic. Four speeds, pretty mm. old technology. Yeah, I've got, I've still got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get ten-speed automatic gearboxes now. Yes, I know. Well, the Kia Cerato that we swapped this for has a six-speed auto. Yeah, yes. but of course, that's excise up from this. But this is a very small car, and it has all of the pros and cons that that comes with Mm. this has a fuel consumption of five liters 5.8 5.8 for the auto right but if the manual is listed as five liters per 100 ah so it's pretty frugal actually that says a lot you know because now most automatics are as good as manuals Mm. but that's suggesting this automatic is still pretty old technology but i'd have to say with 62 kilowatts of power and 122 newton meters that's not big numbers And with the automatic gearbox, if you are pulling out from a side street or looking to overtake on a narrow rural road, you should leave or find a location with extra space or pulling into traffic, leave extra space. But I think that we shouldn't dwell on the power of the vehicle because that's really not what it's about. This is a extremely practical city runabout car and it may not hit a freeway that often uh, for all we know. It's simple, it's tiny, it's cute, it's light on the wallet, 
it's both the dealer and the pump. And by the way, if you get on the freeway, you can sit on 110. There's no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got it's got cruise control. I happily sat on the uh, the motorways on it. It's certainly more than capable of driving at freeway speeds. But with five people in it, which would be a bit of a squeeze, probably not going to be very quick. Errol, cruise control. Do you remember years ago when we were driving the little Daewoo Matiz? Air conditioning wasn't standard. I think it had wind-up windows. Okay, that's 10 or 15 years ago. Yes. Well, my car's about 14 years old, and it was the top-end model, which had cruise control and electric windows. Yeah. (laughs) But you get all that stuff standard. And, of course, now you've got all the good safety stuff as standard now. You've got ABS and traction control and stability control. That's all squeezed into this tiny little car. Yes. And you get automatic headlights. You get a reversing camera as standard. It's got a nice sort of touchscreen infotainment system. The manual has hill holds, so hill starts are easy. Don't need the uh, handbrake. The award I gave it for was a city car. Mm. And I actually think it looks stubby. But it, I like the look of it. I think it's just got a yeah. character. Yeah, so I think it's kind of cute. This makes me think of where the Mini was when it came out okay. 40, 50 years ago. I tell you where it's ahead of the first Minis that came out. My mate Rob, who's six foot four and weighs 100 plus kilograms, mm. plus, plus, he can get in that car, put the seat back and be comfortable. Yeah. It's pretty amazing what uh, the, the flexibility you've got in there. They're all lovely to talk to you. Thank you for that. We'll talk some quirky news. No worries, David. You're listening to Overdrive. And we can't keep them away. They're back again this week to talk of the more unusual stories. I'm joined on the line by Errol Smith. Gay Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. Gay Brian. G'day, David. Am I doing the first story or are you? I, no, you I are. I believe I am, David. It's um, uh, Everyone's a critic. And uh, in Montreal, a man was given a $150 Canadian dollar ticket because he sang a 90s dance song in his car. So he was driving along and he was off his way to buy a bottle of water. Apparently, he hasn't got any taps in his house. Uh, and he was singing that uh, 90s hit, Everybody Dance Now, and st- at the top of his voice, really enjoying it, heard a siren behind him and sort of uh, thought they just wanted to get past him. But uh, they called on him to pull over and they quickly came over. They checked the car and then asked him if he'd been screaming. He said, no, I was just singing. Uh, So they actually fined him for disturbing the peace. Um, (laughs) He he remained very calm because uh, he must have thought he was in America because it's very dangerous to interact with the police there but um, he was quite safe but uh, he figures he can uh, appeal this because it's a bit of a strange uh, thing to be um, fined for singing Uh, I wonder if it was for singing or singing a a 90s disco song or if his wife has any indication it might be because he sings particularly badly so Mm, do I David doesn't stop me but perhaps the, the fine wasn't big enough Ah, okay, yeah, yep. Uh, from whose perspective? Well, see, I would have liked to have seen him find a lot more if it was a country music song, for example. Yeah, yep. or, we should have a sliding jazz. scale. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Jazz right at the top. That one is immediately in thrown in hand. Ah, jazz, jazz. If he was improvising in his, you know, booping away with a jazz sort of improvisation, that would take a lot more mental effort and distract him from his driving does. Oh, like scat, oh. like scooby-doo-doo-da, yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, there's no brain used in any of that stuff, David. 
I was just listening to a little bit of even Gershwin where they've improvised around it. I, I've listened to a lot of improvisation. I think it's nonsense. I think it's... it's uh, am I sensing you're coming from a similar area, Brian, where they just seem to rattle off notes and think that it's... It's brilliant. I mean, composing, to my mind, takes time, effort and thought. Uh, doing it off your top of your head, I'm, I've never been impressed with. Uh, 90s dance music. Uh, I'm, I think I missed that era. Have I missed something? Am I lucky? No, You're, no definitely yeah. not, David. Yeah, look, I think you should certainly in, investigate it, David, and maybe... Uh, while you're driving as well, you know, windows down. It'd make a nice change from those clean-cut young men with braces that I see uh, singing incredibly violent rap music in their their mum's sab. (laughs) Doof, doof. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, what do you see? There's, There's an issue. Doof, doof is like all sound problems... When it's silent, then boom, and then loud, and silent, then loud. It's not sort of an average sound. That's when it can be the most distressing. Ah, mm, yeah. people. I, I think the, um, the the giveaway for this story is is really in the last line because apparently his wife told him that she'd have given him a ticket for three hundred dollars because <laughs> she knows what his singing is like. How terribly is. Well, of course, you can get fined for abuse. Well, what happened then if you sang abuse? Oh, okay. Would you get du- double the fine? Swearing, that sort of stuff. Depends, yeah. depends if it was in tune, no, I guess. Oh, well, if it was punk, you know. Or, of course, if you were in the UK and you did the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, you could get offended for abusing, singing and treachery. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brian, a, a, a technical issue here. It's often said that by a lot of shopkeepers that they really need to have free parking and that if you put in paid for parking they will suffer. The other side of the coin is that quite often the unpaid for parking is taken up by shopkeepers who want to park near to where they work. Now there has been a situation in New Zealand where the Lower Hutt province removed the uh, fees for parking in the hope of encouraging more people to come. That cost them $600,000 in lost revenue, but the results weren't as expected. Their increase in turnover is way below other areas that still charge for it. Their increase was only 3.8% in 10 months. That's probably around the sort of inflation line, whereas other areas like Patone had a 25.6%. An upper hut was even 8%. So, Brian, we often talk about what should or shouldn't encourage people in traffic engineering. It's not always as simple as we think. No, you're right. And people often um, call for free public transport for the same reason. But, of course, uh, people don't value things um, uh, if they're free. And uh, I think what happened at Lower Hutt was um, they had long-stay parking for for commuters and and workers, and they put the price of that up uh, to cover the cost of – try to cover the cost of of sort of parking meter um, revenue loss. Um, So I think what – tended to happen was probably people were parking uh, for long periods in the free parking and moving their cars and so uh, uh, the, the the pricing of of that curbside parking is really to encourage turnover and it's turnover that, that allows um, car parking to work but here's an interesting thing David there's quite a few examples of um, curbside parking not really contributing to um, retail revenue 
So some studies that have been done in uh, quite a number of cities uh, in the US and in New Zealand have found that um, quite often the people who are parking in those spaces are employees or owners of the shops adjacent. Uh, so, so many of them are basically filling the space up that the people who they want the parking to serve uh, have no space to, to park in. Yes. Um, and in fact, uh, they often overvalue or o- overestimate the, 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 basic, the value of that parking in terms of you know, how much people spend and what mode they come by uh, in their shops. Many more people um, come by uh, public transport, walking and cycling. I have seen some recent statistics that even restaurants underestimate how many people come by alternative methods of transport. But equally, too, that they sometimes put such a emphasis on parking that they do silly things like there was a cafe that made huge amounts of good service and good turnover out of cyclists. But they then wanted to ban cycling, you know, down by their road and parking there or cycling parking spaces to replace five or six cycling parking places with one car. Yet, if they really understood their market, they would be encouraging. And by the way, the thing about cycling, and they found this in cycling touring is that it's great for local business because cyclists eat more. Uh, yes. I saw a rather lovely um, example from overseas, David, of a, a shop alongside a cycleway that had been introduced when parking had been removed, uh, and the shop made a kind of cycle-through window so that people using the cycleway could buy coffees and such like just to pull over, uh, kind of like a, a ride-through. Drive-through, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, in fact, the, the shops and retail strips that have um, replaced parking with cycle facilities have pretty much all experienced a, a large increase in revenue. As long as they sell water and things like that as well, I think they'll do particularly well. Although, let's not just stereotype cyclists as the very keen, you know, lycra-clad thing. I heard a lovely expression the other day. Someone said, you know, I'm not one of those, I'm an upright cyclist. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? That, uh, yeah. and that's what I like, and that's what I've said in the past. People using bikes. Yeah, cycling fraternities tend to push this line of cycling is good for your health in the in the physical exercise sense. I, a lot of cycling I want to do, I don't want to do it a lot of energy and a lot of sweat, but I might use it for a, a gentle, be a more peace of mind or so on if I have the right cycle wounds. E-bikes, David, that's the future. Yeah, well, there you go. Mm. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, David. No worries, David. Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Zachary Long and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to some longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.